I'm waiting for it to say. Uh, okay, cool. Well, we're recording now. Chris, uh, it's good to have you back, man. You've been away a little bit. Yes, sir. How was it? It was nice, man. It was nice to see some different landscapes and eat some different food and be around some good friends as well. It was, it was nice. Mm. I know that um, the USA is such a vast country that you've got completely different kinds of landscapes. Um, and also, I think it's quite culturally different depending on where you are in the States. Um, but do you think you have as much variety in the US as you have in, in Europe, as in, in such a sort of small collection of uh, well, area space anyway? Yeah, even more. You have like I don't think you have a lot of deserts in Europe. That's true. And uh, U.S. has like huge deserts out west in Nevada, some parts of California I think are deserts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have like mountains, and you have oceans, two different oceans, mm-hmm. and all that wildlife. Um, it's crazy. Like I went to, uh, I was born in Virginia, across the river from. I was my parents were living in D.C., but. Um, my father's friend delivered me at this hospital in Fairfax right across the bridge. And uh, I was taking a geography class in college. And Virginia actually is like one of the only states in the U.S. that has represents like the whole country because it has mountains. It has oceans. It has swamps, it has desert, like a plains area, like a flat area. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's very diverse. Like in the U.S., you're able to see everything but you can't see it for the price you can in Europe <laughs> just mm-hmm. buying is makes a big difference okay all right and, and just um, yeah for the purposes of information so you were in Portugal for a few days was that your first trip to Portugal no it was my second okay I went so a couple you, years ago. the first time to the Algarve Algarve the Algarve okay is it good yeah yeah I loved it it was, uh, I went to last time I was in Lisbon and Peniche, like northern part of Portugal, but this was a lot different and uh, a lot more people from the UK <laughs> getting in while they can. Oh man, it was like it was probably only like 25 people in the town, I guess, and we all went to the same pub every day, and just that that drinking culture. Uh, UK is so so fascinating to me. It's just like no one else in the world, really. <laughs> okay, so you found one of the few places in Europe where people can still actually go to a pub and drink socially. Yeah, that's mad. I mean, it was like open from twelve to ten thirty at night. That's crazy. Okay, I mean, the very concept of going to a pub at the moment is so alien to me that uh, I, I'm not even sure I'll, I think the first time I go in, it'll be a bit like spooky, you know, I'll sort of step in gradually just to make sure that everybody in there is human and there aren't mad aliens around. Um, but yeah, okay, cool. What was it like to have a pint in a pub with other people? Oh man, it was great. My my roommate I went with, he's from Dublin and he's a bartender, so his life is having pints in bars, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, well, hopefully serving a few as well, but uh, I, I guess, uh, yeah. Yeah, but his his girlfriend, she's French, and she's not too fond of the pub culture, so it was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Marriage uh, made in heaven. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, you know, people in their 20s dating. Mm-hmm. This guy's interesting. She's interesting, and then waste a year of their life <laughs> i hope they don't listen to this okay we better move on before you <laughs> <laughs> completely controversial about that all right uh, yeah uh, they're gonna love you um but okay so you you yeah right you started out pretty much along the lines of where i wanted to go so okay virginia but okay well, you're, you're you're actually from dc right <clears throat> so i was born in virginia but my parents were living in Washington, D.C. So D.C. is bordered by Virginia and Maryland. So the hospital was in Virginia. But after I was born, I was brought back to D.C., the Northwest Corridor. 
Okay. And uh, you know, what was it like growing up in D.C.? Um, well, first, I think until I was like six, we lived in the city. And then my parents got divorced and my mom moved to Maryland um, to a town called Annapolis. And it's actually where my father grew up. My mother grew up in D.C. Um, in the city. So my dad actually was living in the D.C. and my mom moved to his hometown <laughs> and okay, raised so. me and my brother there. All right. Yeah. We spent, you know, we spent the weekends in D.C. My mom's sister and mother still lived in the same house I grew up in D.C. So we would spend a lot of time back and forth. It's about 25 minute drive. Mm. But growing up in Annapolis was definitely a different experience. My father didn't really want us to grow up there, but had better school. It was safer and, you know, it wasn't as diverse. Let's just put it that way. And the United States Naval Academy is there as well. Mm. So it's where all the officers and high-ranking people in the naval in the navy u.s navy uh study for university i see okay so but there was never like uh, a desire on your part to be in the armed forces no 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 no. i think my grandfathers were after that no one else okay was that because of uh, vietnam no my grandfathers were in uh world war ii oh whoa okay Hey, I'm not that young. Oh, you are. You're younger than I am, mate. Yeah, my dad's. He missed the draft by like a couple months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, other people missed the draft, but for different reasons, apparently, according to their uh, their record. But uh, that's a different conversation. No. I'm, yeah. Um. Okay. So you essentially divided your youth between D.C. and in- Indianapolis. Um, Annapolis, let's get it correct. A N N A P O. There's a joke about Indianapolis and Annapolis as well. Okay, uh, Annapolis. Okay, so it's not in- Indiana. About six hour flight. I mean, uh, not flight, but it's far. Mill, okay, close to right. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, that 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 tells you exactly what you need to know about my knowledge of uh, U.S. geography. I mean, I think I know a few. Actually, if you ever, here if you ever there, heard but, of, uh, Kunta Kente from uh, Alex Haley. No, can you say that again in the more slowly, If you remember the book Roots or the show Roots, but it was based off a book. No. Uh, it was about slave trade, and there was a slave Kunta Kente, and he was sold in, in Annapolis. And the book is it was like a famous American literature. Uh, okay. Anyways, but yeah, I spent my time there. And then I went to several, I, you know, I was there, like my dad, I would spend the weekends with my dad. So I was in the city on the weekends and I was in Annapolis during the week, going to school, a private Catholic school, um, you know, just playing sports, growing up in the suburbs. And then in the weekends, I would go to the city and go out to eat and go see my grandmother and ride bikes and go to the park and play basketball. And, you know, there'd be different, you know, marches going on and, you know, Labor Day weekend, Memorial weekend, those types of things in the city and July 4th. So and then there was most of my summers I spent in D.C. My mom would make me go up there for like eight weeks and live with my grandmother. And I would just I get I learned how to ride the bus, ride the metro at like 10 years old. And uh, it's all so, that good stuff. So it's essentially it's quite a safe place as in. You, 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 your mum or your dad weren't too concerned about you traveling alone backwards and forwards. No, I mean my parents were more about more. The more experience I get, that could be bad. Probably the better off I'll be. <laughs> so they would never really hold us back from trying new new stuff. You know, like sending us to see family far away on the plane by ourselves, or you know going you know going to summer camp by bus through the city. They they thought that was good ways to grow and learn some common sense, you know, quickly. Okay. <laughs> All right. And and w- w- if you had to choose, I suppose, like a, cat- a category of person um, who your upbringing was more representative of, 
um, in the U.S. Would you say how would you, would you say that you were more representative of okay an East Coast um, uh, youth or as in African American youth or a, a guy from D.C. A New Yorker? I mean, how would you say that you you know was your upbringing? What I want to ask is, what's your upbringing sort of common at that time in the U.S. Well, the way that you did it? I think my upbringing. I was very fortunate because. I would say I had the, I grew up like a private school kid, maybe, you know, growing, you know, going to private school since I was in third grade. So most of my friends were white and well off. Their parents are all well off, had money. So, but those types of situations, you know, you learn about going out on boats, taking vacations, you know, going to the, see the beach house, um, you know, every, you know Resources are everywhere, you know, and I think also growing up in that situation, you don't see as much bad stuff, but I think kids, they want to be bad no matter what. So they find bad things to get into. So it's very easy to get carried away. And, you know, I had a lot of friends that had perfect upbringing had all the resources, but a couple bad decisions and some of them aren't here anymore. And they passed away and they passed away. And nat- natural causes or something else? Uh, drug use. Okay. Yeah. There was a big uh, opioid epidemic in the U.S. And I know, you know, dozens of kids that I grew up with or died. Mm. Okay. Um, and, okay, so... Oh, it's, okay, so you, there's quite a bit, should we say, culturally, which is perhaps not too common. But, I mean, how did you um sort of sort of marry the two different elements as it were so you had your sort of school friends who were as you say slightly you know better off white um but then you also had uh, i presume friends who um were not better off and white um people who you hung out with perhaps more in dc um you know how how did you sort of put these two different elements of your of your life together or did you actually actively well, keep them separate uh, actually i would say I would take that back. I mean, a lot of my like, a lot of my life till I was 18, I didn't really, honestly, have too many black friends. Okay. And it was just the environment I was growing up in. But my family, I would not say we were growing up like every average African American black family in the United States. You know, I mean, just because my just you know, for my grandparents, my parents, they were all, you know, everybody was educated and I, I wouldn't say black minorities in the U.S. growing up. You know, I had lots of opportunities. My father was a urologist, a physician, so he made plenty of money and he made sure we went to all the private schools and we had shoes, we had clothes. Um, and I was playing golf as a young kid, hanging out at country clubs. But then I go, my dad would take me straight to the park and play basketball with, you know, the brothers down in Georgetown, you know, and I learned when I was 12, you know, to call a foul. And some dude, you know, some dude says, that's not a foul. And then he's twice your size, twice your age. And you get to look at him and say, yeah, it was a foul, you know, hmm. because your teammates are going to say, man, call a foul. So you learn like quick about that. So I, so I really liked how I had both perspectives because, you know, when with my family, they're talking about, you know, the things that black people talk about and what's going on in the world and how people are treated. And then when I'm with my white friends, I see the other perspective and then how really the white privilege, like they're just a lot of, like I had some friends that were very aware and awoke their parents more than others. And then you had, you know, friends that they just, they, they didn't know what was going on in the world. You know, all they cared about was like girls, what, they, they, you know, what car their parents are going to buy them next and you know, what boat, you know, what college and you know, all this stuff. And so it was both definitely both perspectives. And but then when my I was 18, my mom was like, you have to get a different perspective on the world. And I didn't really understand it at that time. And I was just like, no, like I just want to stay here with my friends and mess around in this little town. And, you know, and, and she was like, no, you can't do that. So she sent me to a prep school in uh, North Carolina when I was 18. And I was supposed to play golf. I did play golf. I was going to play basketball, but I was too scared to try out. 
and I, you know, I wasn't playing much, and I just lost my passion from my senior year in high school because I had I didn't get along with my coach, and my coach my junior year was like an amazing coach, and he's still like one of the best high school coaches in the state of Maryland, and you know a lot of us had hopes, and then the new coach kind of came in and changed the system and didn't really like the he wanted he wanted the younger kids to be more involved, and you know it was our last year, so he was like kind of like you know just get these guys out of here and let's start over. Um, so yeah, I kind of lost my passion to play basketball after that. And I kind of moved towards golf and then I played golf down there and the school was in the middle of nowhere and it was probably like 70% black and it was kids from all over South, East, East coast, Virginia, DC to Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, and, uh, who were trying to go to college and they couldn't get into school. So they went to this two year prep school and you could, and it was like, it was a well-known like a uh, accredited school. So you, so once you went there two years, you were automatically able to get into another school. It looked good. You know, mm. so I went down there for a year and I played golf and I just never, I mean, I got to one of my first fights there and I was living with uh, this white guy from Charlotte and this black guy, the two white guys. And, you know, and like, I just hanging out with the black guy and it's, my age, I've never really had that experience. It was just like, it was crazy, man, you know? And it just changed so much for me. I just, and, I, and I looked at myself a lot like, wow, like, you don't know shit about, I mean, you, you know the culture, but you don't know how to, you know, interact and stuff, you know, with people like that look like you. And, you, and I just, it, I learned a lot. And they make fun of me, but then they learned that they, they liked me, you know? They're like, it's all right, you know? He just grew up with a bunch of white people. And, you know, they, they like <laughs> about it and white they call me white boy but yeah i was gonna ask you actually because i at the height of the black lives matter movement last summer in the uk there was um so obviously the, the uk really picked it up quite quickly for clear reasons as in uh, as in why in the uk it mattered and why the premier league still continues it which is brilliant um, but on the BBC, I listened to uh, a show about Black Lives Matter and uh, a lady, again, of African origin, her parents came from Africa. Um, and she said that her parents suffered discrimination from both sides. So first of all, from uh, the, the English when when they arrived, so they had problems with uh, sort of white English kids, um, but also from other um, African immigrants because they wanted to improve their lives. So other other Africans would look at them. Say, oh, "Look at them. You know, they're not real, real, you know, real, really black. You know, they're, they're black only on the outside." Um, did you have some similar kind of experience? As in, where did you feel sort of discriminated against from both sides? Of course. Um, yeah, I had. I mean, there was. A- like that, those couple of years, it was like eight year period. I was just was like, that's all I heard all the time. You know, I wasn't, they, it was like it's, the slang they say, like, you you aren't black enough for the black kids or white enough for the white kids, you know? No, no, mm. you're black enough for the white kids or white enough for the black kids. Okay. So yeah. did that give you like a bit of an identity crisis then? Like, who am I? What am I doing? No. No? Because I like to embrace, I, used, I like to use both cultures, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, eventually you get to a certain age where you're gonna be you're black no matter what, just because. And I think it's just when you're young and people are trying to figure out identities and race and they're trying to make themselves their own identity, like adolescence, mm-hmm. you hear more. Because like I didn't when I went to like a middle school, there was like one or two black kids in my grade of like 40 kids or 30 kids. Um, but it was small classes. But I went to a bigger Catholic high school, which you had, you know, Catholic kids that have been going to school together for years. And like, they're just a little more, I would say, like a little more raw. <laughs> and that was the first time I ever heard like racial jokes when I was in ninth grade. I first went to school and were sitting at the lunch table and the kids, like these kids I knew, you know, from playing sports when we younger, but I never went to school with them. And they just started cracking these like racial jokes at me. And it was just like, I don't understand what's going on. You know, you're like, you're like, you want to fit in. So you're like, <laughs> but you're also you're like, that's fucking mean. You know, you're like, 
and how are you like you're supposed to be my friend and it's the first couple of days of school and i get they kind of do it and they get over it and then as they get older they realize it's like it's not okay um but also i don't know like maybe it was just a way from them letting me know like hey you don't fit in here you're different than us and we're gonna let you know about it just unconsciously you know it's that that white privilege thing you know that supremacy like you're you know they like they wanted to put me down by like making fun of like black people you know and it was just like and, okay so this was in the, the the late 90s i guess no this is early early 2000s okay. like 2003 okay all right so in in 2000 let's say in the early 2000s then you had this uh, can you in i don't know if it's possible you obviously you were very close with your grandmother um so she's told you a lot about her experiences but you know if you still suffered from that level of discrimination in in 2003 um what must it have been like for your gran going into work every day uh, it was tough i guess but i don't know she she she, oh, she would talk about how there was a, a general that she worked under, like, you know, when you're in the, she worked in the Pentagon for the Air Force and she had worked her way up and she told me a story that some general was, uh, kept passing her up for a, a promotion. And she said there was a white guy working there and he was a little bit ahead and he, he could tell that the, the general was, you know, overlooking her cause she was black. And she said that, uh, the guy said something, or she, maybe she or the guy said something to, to like someone higher than the general that he was being discriminatory, blah blah blah, and it ended up like changing her course of work. But she, you know, she, you know, she talked about situations like that. Um, but also growing up in D.C. and the social network, social group that she was hanging out with and surrounding herself with, everybody was highly educated black people with jobs and families and they were they were the the epitome of like working class you know middle of the working class black families in dc you know and dc is known for having these um just you know great well-educated black people who you know work hard and very successful you know pg county is the county right outside of dc but all those black people that live in PG County is are um, they're from DC, but during the gentrification in the late nineties and two thousands, like they all moved to, to Maryland and that's where like Kevin Durant is from and uh, Michael Beasley. And there's a, they just did a, a movie, uh, a movie on like, it must be the water about PG County. Cause it has more NBA players have come out of PG County than any other area in the country for the world <laughs> they have you know the highest so for the population per capita they have the most nba players and then they you know lots of sure. great come on in out of pg county and play the NBA. anyways so all those gentrification happened so all these black people that were working in the government working in dc moved to the to the to maryland because it was cheaper and so now you have the highest per capita uh, wealthiest county in the country of uh, black people. Uh, the whole United States has the most, the wealthiest black people live in this county, <laughs> in this area. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, because clearly, you know, people outside of the U.S. don't really have quite the, the same level of uh, you know of understanding about the different di- social dynamics and so on within in in the US i mean i, I remember it, it growing up in in the 90s um and i watched this movie boys in the hood i watched a movie called colors i don't know if you've seen these um yep. you know, but these i think if i'm please correct me if i'm mistaken these both refer to life you know on the west coast these are like uh, you know california yeah, la yeah. west coast and that's the thing it's like I have family out in um, Long Beach on my dad's side, and you know everybody, like black people in different parts of the country, you know, grew up in different ways. You know, it's they still have the same type of culture, but when you're growing up in New York City, overcrowded, you know, apartment complexes, 
it's very like, a different way than growing up in Long Beach, like in a house, sunny weather. You know, <laughs> it's very different culturally in that aspect of it. Yeah, and I mean, and, and saying that, I mean, there's a lot more obviously to discuss. Uh, I mean, there are because, for example, Boys in the Hood, they referred specifically to to this sort of ghetto style situation where, um, yeah, the kid had to make a choice: does he try to fit in with the gang, or does he try to better himself and come out of the hood and make himself uh, make a man of himself and so on? Um, it, it was a very obviously uh, intensive sort of story, um, uh, you know, and quite emotional as well. Unfortunately, because of the way the story developed, but you know, I, I often think about that kind of thing when we listen to political commentaries so in the 2016 uh, election uh, when we we're talking or the commentators were talking about Hillary Clinton they were like yep yeah, she's got the black vote and she's got the female vote and yet but that's you can't say that though can you because it's not like every black person is in a specific way inclined and will therefore or automatically vote democrat I mean I think I would love to see the numbers of blacks that voted in this election versus that election. It must mm. be crazy. Yeah, completely because, different, you mean? Yeah, the percentage that how many more people voted this time, especially in those community, those uh, demographics, it definitely is a game changer. That's why he's not the president anymore. Do you think this is why Clinton didn't win because she she was overconfident from from that perspective? Yeah, well, the thing is, is like when Barack Obama ran for president, black people, he really rallied them, you know, and he really rallied all these people who never thought they could be president or leader of a nation like this, you know, like he, he was hope, you know, that, that was his, that was what he ran on, like hope, you know, yes, we can. And it really got a lot of people out to vote. Um, but then when Hillary there's a lot of people just they just couldn't relate to her, you know. I was a huge Hillary fan, and I would yeah. have really I've never been so excited for someone to be the president other than Barack Obama. I think mm. and I was really like, wow, now we're gonna have Hillary. It's gonna you know, a woman. I always thought, I mean, I, when I was a kid, Bill was president, so I always knew about the Clintons, and I thought she, you know, I just thought she was a powerful, intelligent woman. Yeah, she has a lot of bad things, but. I thought she would have been a great president, especially for the first. Um, mm. But she just was like, yeah, yeah, like, they'll, they'll vote for me. And I think she also didn't think people were actually going to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, 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 I didn't, and I, I, I can't explain necessarily why, but I, I never had much faith in, in Hillary Clinton becoming um, a president and be a good president thereafter. I have to say, though, I'm hopeful that Kamala Harris will become the first female president. I, I have a feeling that Joe Biden has only got half a term in him, um, but that's a different that's a different topic of conversation. Um, okay, so, but also, I mean, you, you you've got politicians in your family, right? Don't you? Yeah, my cousin Shirley uh, was the mayor of Atlanta, and her son was a also big into the back, like you know, behind the scenes in politics and helping people get elected and stuff like that. Okay, all right. Um, my family is really into politics, so even as a kid, like my. You know, we were always talking about voting and policies. And my my aunt, my mom's sister, worked for the Department of Education in D.C. for like 30 years. So, you know, we were always talking about government, and that was a big thing. My grandmother works in the government, so that's what I mean. Like, you know, when you grow up in a family, fortunately, I grew up in a family where, like, when you're sitting at the dinner table at Thanksgiving, you have a, a mayor, you have I mean, my grandma's a real estate agent. You know, my my dad was a doctor. My brother was living in Kenya, um, running a, uh, a communications company, a nonprofit that built from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who funds it. Uh -huh. And they are working with like Hillary and Agra, or these companies, or these nonprofits that help like farmers and agriculture and all over the world, and mostly in Africa. Mm. Um, but not, but not connected with Monsanto. No. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm I'm setting up future episodes. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, 
so yeah, so I'm saying like when you're surrounded at a table with people who have master's degrees and you know are like working, and my mom was an educa- educator, educated teacher, so you just the conversations are just different, you know, white or black. So I was just fortunate to be around that um, from a young age, and I was like the youngest in my family for until I was like in maybe 20 years old or something. And and if you okay, you've been away from so when did you leave DC? Was it like three years ago, three or four yeah, years ago? It was yeah. uh, April 2018. Okay, all right. Okay, so almost three years. And uh, and you came straight to Berlin, or did you like? Uh, yeah, I came straight, straight here. I uh, I've never been to Berlin when I came, and I just was like at a point in my life I was thirty. And I would just turn 30 and I, uh, you know, you kind of just like, you don't really see where you're going with life. You, you're working, but it's just no excitement. And I just, I've always wanted to live overseas. And my brother had lived overseas for like eight years and traveling and working. And I just thought it was such a cool lifestyle. And when I would go visit, I meet all these expats and who made lives for themselves in other countries. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I, but I could never figure out, figure out a way to do it. Or every time I would tell people that I was, they were like, Oh, you're silly, man. Like, what are you going to do? There? Are you going to get a job? Like, you don't speak, you don't speak Spanish. You don't speak German. You know, it's the first thing they say. And it's like, okay. And I tried to move to the West coast of the United States to Seattle. And I told some of my closer people and family, they were like, no, you can't move to Seattle. It rains all the time. <laughs> right. That's all it rains all the time. I'm like, okay, what? So what? That means I shouldn't move there. So, and it put it put it put it off so much for me that I was like, okay, this time I'm not going to tell anyone. And there was like a little episode in my life in the fall of 2018. Won't really go into it. Um, nothing crazy. Just. Just things weren't working out, jobs, girls, you know, friends, like those, you know, and you're just like, you just kind of look at yourself like, dude, I just need to get to something else, you know, get away. Like, just like everything, things keep repeating, you know, you feel like you're in like a, a rat race or a groundhog day, you know, mm-hmm. events, blah, blah, blah. So I found, I was like looking at ways to get abroad because it's, it's not that easy for anybody, especially like Americans, like you could go travel anywhere for three months, but then you have, like, if you go to like Europe, it's, like you can go to some place, you have to find a place to live. And if you don't know anybody, it makes it difficult. And I knew maybe like three people in Europe and like, I couldn't just go move in with them. You know, our relationships weren't like that. But I was in London in like November, uh, September of 2017. I was with my friend Natalia and her husband. And we were just like at a martini bar, a coffee martini bar, espresso martini bar. And they were just asking me about my life, you know, what's going on. And she was a really close family friend. So we we're having like a deep conversation about it. And I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm not too happy about the situation. I'm, I'm traveling now, just trying to get my mind clear, like, you know, get out there. But I'm, I'm tired of like, this getting this high of traveling and being in a new culture. And then you go back home and it just, you just, you know, you come down from it and you're just like, oh. So I always get this feeling of like coming back, I'll go somewhere. I, I, like I was traveling to China, I was in I was in Argentina, and I was in Chile, and I was going all over. I go to Europe, and then I come home, and it's like just this. And then you're like planning your next thing because you can never feel satisfied, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking to them, and they were like, "Just why don't you just move to Europe?" And I was like, "Well, it's not that easy." And then they're like, "Yeah, I guess it's not." And I told them all the, how hard it is, and then I just started doing a lot of research, and I found this this program. Uh, it's like a relocation program, and this chick, she's from like New Zealand. She sets up uh, like a, a house, like a flat with. Then it was like eight of us. It's like a pretty big flat with like eight people for like a month, and she even gets you a meldung here in Berlin, and then you get to meet like eight people and live with them for a month, and then she like kicks you out. And it's like all right, you're on your own, but she helps you get all the paperwork done. She gives you the place for a month. And shows you how to find a place. It kind of gives you that time. And I did it. And I didn't tell anybody. And like I didn't tell anybody in my family or my friends. And I told like one of my, like my best friends in like January. I was like, I'm moving, man. And it was like, weird telling you. You know, you're telling your best friend you grew up with, and he's just like, what? <laughs> you know, he's like, never thought you'd do it. And then 
he was, and then he was just like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, do it, you know? And then I didn't tell anybody else, and I waited. And then I think I told um, my, my grandmother, because I, I was living in D.C. with her, because she, she was like 90. She had a huge house, and she was, had cancer. And I was just living with her, helped, you know, taking care of her, and just, you know, just, it, you know, my grandmother's like my best friend. Mm-hmm. So, so it, I didn't want to tell her because I knew she'd just be like, what? And then when I was getting, when I finally had, I booked the thing in November and was kind of getting ready. I was saving money. I like sold my car. I was slowly, and I moved like all my stuff into one place. I was getting everything ready. Everybody's like, why are you doing all this stuff? They had no idea. And then I told uh, Shirley, my cousin um, from Atlanta, and she was like, she thought it was the best idea ever. And uh, so and I, and I told her and then I told my grandmother, my grandma was like, what? Like, oh, you, like, you can't do that. Like, I'm sick. And oh, we just, let me I got to think about this. And, and Shirley was like, no, like, he's going like and I told my sister-in-law and she was like, you got to go. And then the only person I didn't tell was my my dad. And I had a dog as well. I had a dog for 10 years. You know, like I took care of my best. You know, my, like, it was my dog. And I had to. Give him, I didn't give him away. Like I had a my I have a house in Annapolis, and I let my friend stay there and take care of him at the house where he grew up. So the dogs never left the house it grew up, but he just had I just wasn't there anymore. So which was, which was really tough, and leaving my grandmother. And then the day I was going to tell my father, he actually had a heart attack and died. Oh man, that was like a week before I was going to leave. So he dies, and I'm like, I didn't get to tell him. I just I thought about it the other day. I was like, I never even told him I was moving here because I knew if I told him, he'd be like, you're crazy. Like, there's no, you know what I mean? He just think it's so ridiculous. Um, only thing I think he wouldn't because he loved German cars. And he'd be like, oh, wow. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, he loved German cars. So I think he would have thought that was cool. But I don't know what, what he would have said. But, um, but I just didn't want to know. I didn't care because I was, just, I was, no one's going to tell me I'm not going. You know what I mean? So then I had to plan the funeral and do all this stuff, and then everybody found out I was going, and everybody was like, "You gotta go, you gotta go, it's amazing, you gotta go, you gotta do it, blah 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 blah." And I went, and then it was it was tough for the first, like, the first month was great meeting people, like, this is really great, and then after that, you start like it was like a month I wasn't working, and I was just like, you know, you kind of see the people you saw, but then you realize like not really your friends, and then once I started working, uh. And then playing basketball, I mean, it, things just got easier and easier every week, you know. And now I look back and I'm like, I'm so happy that I kind of created my own life here where I, I have a job, I have friends, you know, and I've created my own community where I can get my releases in different areas mentally and stuff. You know, I can talk to people about different stuff. And, uh, and like yesterday I had to work. A couple hours, I made like I literally, I literally cooked 900 liters of soup, like a ton of soup in like five hours, and I was like, wow. And I'm just walking down Friedrichstrasse, and I'm like, this ain't that bad, you know? I'm like, <laughs> I had to work on a Sunday, but look, I'm I'm looking at the Brandenburg Gate, and I'm you know I'm walking in a, in a major capital in Europe. It doesn't get much, you know, well not not that bad situation. I'm not living in Alabama, driving my pickup truck home to my girlfriend who's pregnant, who's you know doesn't want to be with me anymore and we got one kid already and you're watching fox news you know like yeah it's not that bad <laughs> all right you're, you're painting a slightly politicized picture there but fair enough um, okay <laughs> uh, uh, was our basketball team the first team you tried to play with or was there another team that was sort of you no, joined? really I, do you remember the guy pablo yeah a little guy no, he was like he was like a black guy. He was like half black, half to- Togenese and German. Uh, he only came a couple times, but yeah, he was but, on the team. And I met him through a friend, and we went out like one night, and we and we, you know, we went on like a a graffiti tour or something. And he was talking about basketball. I was like, yeah, I like basketball. And he was like, yeah, man, we play blah blah blah. Here, he's like, here's my number. And I just texted him like, hey man, like you playing basketball? He's like, yeah, come. Here's the address. It was the place. It was uh, our gym, mm. and that was it. Well, that was cool. That was lucky, didn't you? Oh yeah, so lucky, man. I probably yeah. I don't think I made it on a team or anything. Like if it wasn't for that, you you wouldn't have found us then. Would I don't you? think I didn't even know that this existed. You know, what I mean? like okay, I don't know anybody else who plays on teams, but now that you know, 
more and more I meet people, yeah, you hear like, oh yeah, my boyfriend or my my brother plays on the team, like something like that. But I didn't, I didn't like none of my other friends are playing like sports. Like, uh... yeah, mad. Um, all right, um, a, a little bit more of um, DC. Uh, sorry, because of what happened last week, there's no way I can avoid talking about it. Um, but before we get to that, let's, let's do a bit of a bridge then. So the reason why I asked you before, you know, if you left, how how many years ago you left? So it's only three years more or less. Um, but you know, looking at from how DC was when you were growing up there and the city it is today, it hasn't changed too much, has it? Um, DC? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just been gentrified more. It's gotten a lot more expensive and the neighborhoods have changed. That's the most, but not really. It's still my one of my favorite places in the world. I mean, the type, the type of people you get in the in that city, like the way that white, black, and Hispanic or different types of people like mix and get along is it's beautiful mm. because it's you just you just know like you just know like you know like you're dc but everybody hits from a different background in dc you know like when my grandmother's street we always we had that there's like a a group of you know neighbors that always had barbecues and parties and we still talk and chat and they're all my grandmother's friends but they're most of them are, i think in their 50s now and they all have kids in their 20s but they're from El Salvador, Black, Greece, um, White, from Tennessee, from North South Carolina. You know, there's people from Ohio. Dave, he's married. He's a white guy, bolt, professional bowler with a mullet. He's married to <laughs> Lillian, who's from El Salvador. You know? All right. And so it's, 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 it's as as multicultural as Berlin, would you say then, Washington? Or yeah, very. I would compare it. I would, I would definitely compare it to Berlin. How multicultural it is, really. It just doesn't have the size of Berlin, you know, and have the that kind of stuff. Hmm. You know, Berlin is such a, is much bigger. Okay. Uh, but I mean, Berlin is unique in Germany, isn't it? So there aren't too many cities. Uh, well, there aren't any other cities anywhere near the size of Berlin in Germany. So whereas in in the US. Um, yeah, uh, how many you know million plus cities are there in the US? It must be at least yeah. thirty or forty. So, um, and they're all diverse. I mean, US is the most diverse place in the world. So, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> fair enough. I, I I don't have statistics on that, so I'm gonna have to take you uh, take your word for that. Um, but what happened last week? Then obviously that was uh, essentially a, a Trump rally. Um, but with a lot of non-Washington D.C. participants, wasn't it? So, I mean, that screams to me of, you know, this was organized. Um, oh, yeah. Man. I didn't realize how many these little online groups and they like they're like sharing platforms are like sharing stuff and info and how fanatic these people have become. It's I don't know. It's It's one or two things, you know. It's either I think, I think a lot of it's just boredom and like the you know the blaming culture just fires these people up you know it's just yeah I, I mean it's the mo it's like the worst example I've seen of just white supremacy and the things they're saying and like they just don't care about anybody else it was so it was so ridiculous man like I. Some people were joking about it today at work, and I just don't really joke about it because it just wasn't. It's just not funny, you know. No, it's not funny at all. I mean, um, I mean, there were there were people in the crowd shouting "Hang Mike Pence," you know, and bring you, him up. Yeah, yeah, hang him up. Bring him up. Bring him up. I mean, that's like a that's a southern slang for like racially hanging someone, you know, like. String. Yeah. Let's just say like maybe catch a black person and lynch them. They say string them up. And then they were saying they were chanting, "I can't breathe." Oh, were they as well? Yeah, so it's like, is it taking is, the, it's like taking the piss, basically. Yeah, it's like let's make fun of this. It's like how many people have died from that from the mm-hmm. police? And they're just they're chanting that in front of the Capitol just as a joke and laughing. Sick. 
that's yeah. I mean, there's nothing interesting the about it. Pictures of the shirts they're wearing, and like one was like Camp Auschwitz. Really? Yeah. Hey, like a, a hoodie. It's a Camp Auschwitz, like, and it had like the date and, or I think it said that it had the date like January sixth, like twenty twenty one on it or something. Okay, so yeah. And then, and then the, the one some guy had like Silver War shirt on January sixth, twenty twenty one. So like I didn't real. So obviously that that's there's so many conspiracies going. On. It drives me crazy, man. Like they they knew this was going on. These guys are making shirts about it. like the, the U.S. government has intelligence on everything. So I don't understand that there's something that there was some kind of inside job, like a setup that this happened. You see the videos of guys, people just walking through, the cops are standing there. Mm. I don't know if there's a miscommunication from the police saying, like, okay, like, we can't stop them. There's too many, let them go. Or what? Or, you know, I think there's also the story, this one guy, like, this one black officer, he's, like, redirecting the the insurrectionists, (laughs) whatever they're calling them, and he, like, keeps them away from the cabinet members, and he, like, you know, and, like, He's like a hero now because he took him to the opposite place. And like, so they're saying like maybe they're just letting him go to different places because they couldn't control all this. Like, man, if you yeah, guys are shirts, then there should have been the army should have been there. Like they knew. But, but I mean, you saw though the photos of when the Black Lives Matter protests took place. I mean, there were these you know heavily armed guards. They were you know sort of lined up, sort of four deep. Um, you know, th- there was no way that if these people had even the, the slightest inkling, you know, of making a forward rush towards the capital, they would never have made it. Um, so, you know, th- this says to me that, as you say, as in w- when, it, when it comes to surveillance and knowing what's going on, um, you know, the, the, the U.S., they pretty much know what's happening. And I have this sneaky feeling that they deliberately um did not put a large military or police presence there because they knew that would have then turned into a bloodbath because you know these guys were intent on doing whatever they wanted to do um and that you know the police would then have had to draw down on them and then you'd have had you know and they had guns as well yeah they they had like uh what was it one one cocktails and stuff okay they come with 11 of them mad so they were ready. Yeah? As in they were, these guys were ready to go, you know, crazy um, and attack the police, attack the army, attack anybody that was basically there. So may- maybe this is why they said, OK, leave them to it. Um, but to have the Senate actually sitting at the time. Um, yeah, that, that's a bit strange, though. That doesn't really yeah, what, keep. What happens like, if the army's there and they start really fighting the army? I don't know, man. It could have been a lot worse. Maybe there's some. I don't know. But both of the the, the police chiefs resigned the next day. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. I would think it was they, they messed up on some part, not having the right personnel. So you're, yeah, so you're, you're, I, good I was, host, man. you're a good host. Sorry, you're a good host. <laughs> I'll leave that bit in, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, so this, with regards to Trump, so lots of people call Trump the divisive president. And so, and as you know, there's no, you know, I'm not an admirer of, of Trump, either in the person who does the job, nor the job that the person does. Um, but yeah, these are not um, people who all of a sudden became, as you say, racist, supremacist. These are people who already had those feelings you know the, these you know, r- racism did not suddenly re-emerge uh, after 50 years from nothing um so, so these we're, what we're looking at what we are seeing now is simply a question of trump's uh, divisive approach has allowed these people to feel more um uh, able to voice their opinions more publicly more vociferously um and you know the fact that now social media has decided to close down on these things that doesn't mean the problems are going to go away, is it? No, they have. They'll find other ways. They have that one app, like what's it called, Parlor. Yeah. And they're all in there, and they're. I mean, like all the followers are still going to be on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. 
but they, these are platforms which are apparently now a bit more so we say stringent in the way that they follow certain kinds of rules uh you know hate hate speech uh inciting violence and so on um but what does that say for freedom of speech if it, if it comes down to silicon valley that has to come up with the you know the rules i don't know a lot of people are saying like it's, uh, censorship blah 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 like they're upset about that situation but i don't know i mean what he did was very wrong and he definitely in told those people let's you know he's tweeting about it and telling them let's take the capital and these different platforms you know it's just it's really mad madness man but, but what's go, what's going to happen now then do you do you think that um you know nancy pelosi is going to you know come, come through with this uh, impeachment do you think mike pence is gonna have him removed under the 25th amendment i mean what do you think is going to happen no, I just heard uh, when I just left work, one of my coworkers said that they did impeach him. So I know I haven't had time to look at the news. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, he just said it like briefly. Okay. But I, here's like I think they need to do it because they need to show that there's no man large bigger than the people. You know, like we're the United States. You know, so if you take him out of office. You're showing the country that, look, the people you voted for to put you in office are representing your best interests, you know, and that no one can just say these things and, and, and try to ignite this, incite this type of violence towards people and, and like just have this sense of no control. It's just not OK, you know. So if they I it would, it would give me a sense of relief, too. And I think a lot of people, if they got him out and the second thing if he's impeached a second time, he can't run for office ever again. Mm. So I think that's what they want. They want to keep him from running for president again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, his age may take care of that anyway. But I mean, but where does this leave the Republican Party? So yeah, maybe you're a Democrat anyway, um, and so you probably don't really care too much uh, about the grand old party. But I mean, where does this leave them? Because um, yeah, waiting until you know two weeks before the end, the inevitable end of Trump's pres presidency to speak out against him, um, to me tells me that you know, they they're not really of any particularly great character, are they? I mean, it's a bit late now, isn't it? Yeah, it looks it looks terrible. I mean, they've been on the decline. Sorry, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Bless you for uh, a while, but he just. Because like I think even Trump a couple years ago wasn't a Republican anymore, and he was like, oh, I'm just gonna run under the Republican, and they had this whole big plan, you know, to unite this these people that you saw, and it worked, you know. Mm. Um, but I don't know the Republican Party. I just it's hard it's hard for people to respect anything they have to say, but a lot of their big um people have been saying stuff and like even like i don't know if you know mitt romney he ran for yeah. a couple years ago and he's just like this super republican from utah and, and uh like he's stepped up a couple times and said stuff about trump and he mm -hmm. said something on on uh thursday morning when they went back in the session and i and i really when i first when he first ran for like president i was like this guy is such dork you know, it just represents nothing I, you know, I believe in, and I mean, just him stepping up these last couple of times and saying something against Trump is just I've gained so much respect for him. I, and each time someone else does, like, you just gain so much more respect. So, like, I think the more that come out and make changes and stop this like old guard of of like politics and stuff, then they will help them. But if they keep up with this, like we are, we only represent the people that look like this, it's not going to last very long. Yeah. I mean, during the Trump presidency, for me, the only Republican who, okay, I, I don't know enough about it. So maybe there are lots more um, of whom I'm you know, unfamiliar, but uh, the one that really comes out with some real credit um, is McCain. Um, and Love that guy. I used to be McCain, but John McCain's a real, that's a true American. And I went to, I was in Vietnam last 2019, December. Mm. And uh, we went to like a hotel 
the Hanoi Hilton where McCain was kept for like 10 years in this little cell. And to come from that situation and shot down and survive that and to go into a life of politics and then run for president. And when and you read his speech when uh, Obama won, it's just such a graceful speech, you know, so respectful. And then Trump just berates him why he was alive and he died. It's just such disrespect. And I, John McCain is my, probably my favorite Republican. He's the representative from Arizona, right? Yeah, but he died a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is also why Arizona went for Biden. A lot of people have suspected. Yeah. Yeah, and also the people. It's so funny how they do go for. I don't know because. If you look at the last three elections, how crazy they are, it's hard to know like what people are it's going on in their heads because like you elect a black guy twice, okay? Then you elect Donald Trump, and then you have this total disaster in four years, and then you have another ridiculous I mean, I guess this last election wasn't as close as people were talking about, you know, mm. like like saying it was a historic election. It was a historic election because more people voted than ever. 140 million people voted or something. 50 yeah. million people. That's a lot, man. That's that's twice the size of Germany. Yeah. yeah. They're voting. And well, only half of the country voted almost. I have to I have to say, without sounding in any way disrespectful, I have a bit of beef with um with American commentators because they call the USA the greatest democracy on the planet. Yeah. But surely India with over one billion population is perhaps the greatest democracy on the planet. They're not talking about they're talking about democracy and how the government's run. Okay. You know, they're talking about the opportunities and jobs and the way that they set laws. I wouldn't mm. say yeah is that great with democracy because their level of rape and abuse to women is just and poverty. In India you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they also <clears throat> are only been free for what 60, 70 years. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think. Leave? Sorry. When did the English leave? I think it was uh, just after the Second World War because the the, the, <laughs> the Brits. Like the U.S. You know, they said this is the first time the capital has been attacked since 1812, 14, in the War of 1812, when the mm. English burned down the capital. Yeah. Yeah, after yeah. the after the U.S. got their independence in the first in the Revolutionary War, then England tried to come back and mm. bought them off. The farmers. Yeah, I, you, I guys think about, you guys probably didn't learn about this in England because <laughs> you guys don't learn about losses, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's put it this way: it's not top of the um, the, the list of um, yeah, historical that's, lessons that's that I learned. Spangled Banner. Francis Key in Baltimore, where I went to university. I, I I did read a book by Bernard Cornwall called The Fort, and it talks about the greatest naval defeat in American history at a place called Big Wajimadus. Uh, it may it may be where that where, where you where you mentioned, but it's it's a brilliant story. Um, but yeah, I, I tell you, do you know what? You know, I, you know, the, I don't know if it's true. But two of the first people to die in the Revolutionary War and the Civil War were black. Okay. Christmas Addicts, you ever heard of that name? He died and started the Revolutionary War, first person killed. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, well, but my my knowledge in these areas is not is not particularly great, and uh, that's something. But you know, I I want to address that, so I'm gonna have to go away and do some reading, and then you know we'll come back and talk about it because I I hope that you are more familiar with uh, the U.S. Civil War, um, and also a uh, civil rights movement because I I really want to talk about these things as well, and so you know if if you are uh, open to doing so, that we should um we should book in a situation or a scenario where we can we can talk about these things too um but um okay just one more question uh, and then we'll we'll leave it for for this particular episode of the podcast um so joe biden's going to be coming in um 
it's not quite the same because before when we talked about Barack Obama, you mentioned the word hope. Yeah. Now, whether or not Barack Obama finally delivered on that promise, that's a different question. And I, I, I don't want to approach it now. Um, but Joe Biden, he's not coming in with that level of hope, is he? As in the, the US is simply not in the same place today as it was back in 2008. No, I think Joe Biden does represent a little bit of hope because the ticket does, because the ticket is, I think Kamala Harris is huge for hope for a lot of people, you know, Mm. and that kind of diversity in the government, like if you look at his cabinet picks, that type of diversity looks, you know, gives people hope that the U.S. is going to try to change some of these things around and change the way the world looks at Americans, you know, by having better policies and having proper education and trying to increase jobs and green and taking care of, you know, the, the environment and, the, and you know, getting back into some of these agreements that Trump left. That's, that's the hope that people have. And I think Joe Biden knows how to be a politician. He knows how government works. And he, you know, he knows how to work. He's been more, you know, he's been a senator for like his whole life. <laughs> you know, but, but but isn't there this, this uh, sort of saying in in Washington that um, the least influential person in Washington is the vice president? Yeah, but you don't think that's true in this case. Do you think Kamala Harris is going to take a far more frontline role in in the government? Yeah, I think she'll be pretty active. I think she'll be probably more active than Joe will be just because of his age, maybe. Mm. You got to think, like, if someone's 77 years old, they've been serving in the Senate for this long for people. I mean, you have to want to do it. You know, you're not just doing it. It's for like, money. You know, it's it's a tough job. Like, you, it, you, it's not you just you're not like this head figure. You just sit there all day and don't do anything like you're you're waking up every day at three in the morning. You know, you're. You're traveling around the world. You're in meetings all day. You're the president, you know, the United States. So if he didn't have, didn't want to do it and try to make things better or have a plan for the United States, then I don't think he would do it. So that has to give you some positivity. I tell you, you know, if I'm, if I ever get to the age of 77, the the last thing I'm going to want to do is do more work. You know, I'm so so surprised. Yeah, that, I was thinking about the other day. I was like, he really, if you're 70, I mean, 77, like, most people have been retired for like 15 years at that point, and you were going into the hardest job you could ever imagine. Absolutely. And and whatever you do, you know, there are going to be people who are sort of shouting in your face, you know, screaming, you're a traitor, you know. Um, people don't have much to say about him. That's the funny thing. The only things they have to say are like the way he acts in public, you know. Sleepy you know, Joe. Yeah, Sleepy Joe. He has a stutter, and he you know, he's very touchy when he's in public, <laughs> you know. But and then there's nothing. There's nothing. You know, like there's nothing else. They're making up conspiracies about him and his son in Russia or something. But it's like Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like has known for giving golden showers in Moscow, you know. <laughs> and they didn't care about that. But like, oh, you know, you hear about Trump's son. It's like a conspiracy, like on the internet. People are spreading. You know, I don't know, but I think Joe is. I think I think he will calm everything down. Like, most Americans don't want to read about they hear about their president every day. Mm. You know, you, I've, I read a lot of comments on social media about just to see where people are. You know what they are thinking, the stuff that's coming out of their mouth, and so many people are just like, I just don't want to hear about the president anymore. I don't care what's going on. Like I don't want the president to be the celebrity. You know, mm. every like the news, you like. There's definitely times in the last, you know, just growing up, you don't hear the, about the president every day, you know, like yeah. on the nightly news. Like the, you might hear something that he's traveling here, he's going there, but you don't hear about it every day. When Trump was president, every single news cast is about what he's doing or what, something he tweeted. It's, it's so ridiculous. I think the media is actually sad because <laughs> they don't have something. They're still going to talk about him. Yeah, but I mean, if things get too when he's out of office. Yeah, but but if things get too boring, somebody will just stick a smartphone in his in his hand and say, "There you go, Donald, go for it." You know. You got, you got to think it's going to be four years of him saying shit. 
Mm. And he's going to start something. He's going to start some kind of movement and groups. You know, it's something. I don't see him just stopping, you know. He loves yeah, it too much. Yeah, no, he's not going to retire. He's, he's not going to go away, in, you know, in, in sort of tranquility. Uh, and, and other things, like, think about Donald Trump. Like, he he's a billionaire. He owns golf courses. Like, all he has to do is, like, play golf. People run his business. He doesn't do anything. I don't understand why he wanted to be president in the first place. There has That's the thing. It's like maybe he is like this crazy white supremacist leader that no one knows, like, you know, that they, they know about, but no one realized it, you know? And he's like this Illuminati, like, <laughs> leader on, like, these, these conspiracy things, you know? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't see that kind of stuff. I mean, you know that I'm really interested in following uh, some of these theories because I want to work out, you know, how exactly how much fiction people can fit into some of these things. Um, but with with Donald Trump, uh, do you know what? I, I simply think it was because he, for some reason he thought he could actually reach that level. Um, and I just think he was on an ego trip. And he did it. Yeah. He, got, he got the highest position uh, in the country, and that was it. He was the man. Um, but I, I don't think that he wanted it to to, to end this way. Um, I think he, for him, it's a big uh, question of his his dignity that he wasn't allowed to go into a second term. Um, Can you imagine like having that kind of ego for your your ego's on display for the whole world to see every day. Sick, man. Yeah, I. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, it's I'm I'm pleased, obviously, that uh, Joe Biden it ha, has won it. I, as I said before, though, I don't see Joe Biden fulfilling uh, the entire term. So I guess that means Kamala Harris will become the first female president in about 2023, maybe. Um, but yeah, we'll see how that goes. I think that'll do the four years, and I think he'll say that's enough. Do you think he'll make it though? For, I mean, as we, as you just mentioned, I mean, you know, it's a tough job. And look, look how young and vibrant Obama was when he first took over. And then within a couple of years, you know, he was gray. <laughs> you know, he was like drooping. <laughs> you know, I mean, if yeah. you go in gray and drooping, I mean, he might be the most stationary president they've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good and change. Blame it on the virus. Like, well, you know. The pandemic's going on, so we want to make sure Joe's safe. So we're just going to keep him in Washington. He might not travel as much as most presidents. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. That's probably a good thing. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay. All right, Chris, I'm going to have to um, yeah try to tie you down to another appointment next week. Are you up for it? Yeah, man. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, then we'll speak uh, in the week and we'll make some plans for, for next week's topic. But um, yeah, thanks a lot, man. I know you've, you've got a busy day today and you've still got some stuff to do. So thanks for making the time. Um, and yeah, uh, let me know if there are any particular topics that you'd like to, to cover the next time we come to chat. Excellent, man. All right, please. Take care of yourself. And um, yeah, good luck to Man United going top of the league tomorrow, yeah? Oh my God, no, never. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right, but that's uh, something for you to think about for the next couple of days. Watch them lose. Mm. Yeah, they yeah. always do. They always lose when I want them to win. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you want to win. I've never betting on Man United again. Yeah, yeah, man. But I mean, um, yeah, Burnley's quite strong defensively, so it's possible <laughs> that that's a zero-zero. But um, anyway, let's hope for the best. Yeah. All right. Speak to you soon, man. Take care of yourself. See you. See you, bud. Bye.